0: I hope you're enjoying how the Apostle Paul has been dealing with this problem of fighting and divisions in the congregation there in Corinth. Uh, it is interesting to me, and particularly, I guess, fascinating in how he does that. You know, sometimes when you're reading the scriptures, you find things that... Uh, appeal to the heart and appeal to the emotions uh, and we're drawn to a lot of those kinds of passages like the Psalms and things like that particularly in times of difficulty and suffering and then there are passages that truly do appeal to logic and appeal to a a, a form of argument if you will and uh, these four chapters in 1 Corinthians are doing that and, and what is so fascinating to me about this is the way that he proceeds to deal with the fighting and the quarreling and the divisions that are going on in that congregation. It's not just simply knock it off and love each other already and and they kind of move right along, but there's a a real flow and a logic that he's been using throughout these four chapters to help them understand not only why division and fighting needs to cease, but the means of bringing that about is really by a a self-examination, an analysis of oneself and understanding who you are in christ and a proper grasping of that is then what changes how we deal with one another in in first corinthians chapter one and just some, a little bit of a summary of what we've looked at over the past few weeks we've looked at the apostle paul teaching them that god was pleased to confound worldly wisdom through the message of the cross that Preaching Christ crucified was a stumbling block to the Jews. It was foolishness to the Gentiles, and that in Christ there is the ultimate display of the wisdom and power of of God. And so, what else does the Apostle Paul want to do now, as he describes for them and continues to teach them about avoiding these divisions and stopping the quarrelling that's going on in that congregation? And in this section from Chapter chapter 1 verse 26 to chapter 2 verse 5 he's going to talk a lot about them and what they need to be doing and then use himself then as an example of how he did the very things that he is asking them to do and so that's the frame of what we're looking at tonight and then we'll talk about some applications for ourselves along the way so let's look now first corinthians chapter 1 and we begin in verse 26 And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness, and in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. All right. I think what he does is he begins by just asking them to reflect upon themselves. Here has been the flow of this argument that God has not used this worldly wisdom or worldly things that people would look at and say, well that is impressive, that is amazing, that that was was God's delight and God's desire to use the simple things, things that the Gentiles and the Greeks would call foolishness, things that the Jews themselves would be a stumble Block to them. And then in verse 26, he advances that forward and says, Now consider yourselves when you were called. And I think it's interesting that he doesn't just kind of berate them of any kind of statement here, but he's just asking them to think about were you the mighty? Were you the powerful? Were you the wealthy? Were you the rich? Were you the noble? Were you the people of success? Were you the kinds of people that they would look at you and go, you are impressive by worldly standards. You are amazing and all the world finds you so completely impressive. And he's again the rhetorical answer would be, no, look at your own calling. Look at who you are. Look at who received the gospel message. And this is the essence of what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across to them, is that God is not impressed by what we do or by our achievements or our identity or who we think we are or what we might have done or accomplished before him. And I want you to consider how countercultural that message was not only to them, but also to us. Because we so much wrap up our identity in, well, how much money do you have? That, that shows who you are. That, that's your identity. Or, or the kind of job you have, the career choice you've made, that then shows your identity and shows your value and shows your worth. Or the kind of power you were able to exhibit. Or how many people are under you in your particular occupation. We use all of these kinds of worldly standards as a basis by which to consider, well, who's powerful, who's mighty, who's great, who's not. And here's the Apostle Paul going, you know, God doesn't care about any of that. He's not impressed by our achievements. He's not impressed by our accomplishments. In fact, what the argument is, is simply these things absolutely have no significance before God. You can imagine these Corinthians as they're arguing over these kinds of worldly standards of who is valuable and who has the power and who has the might. And he goes, now think about yourselves for a minute. Was that on the table when you were called? And the answer is, of course not. It didn't matter the amount of success or the amount of wealth or the amount of power or if your name was recognized or any of those kinds of things as a basis by which it would bring you into God. In fact, I would hope you would think about the, the theme of the New Testament and really a string of thought throughout all of the scriptures is that the more you are somebody by worldly standards, the more you place your value by worldly standards because I have these things or I have this kind of power or have accomplished these kinds of things, the more you have a detriment before God. Because He's always calling for you have to be humble. You have to be poor in spirit. You have to understand who you are before God. And these kinds of achievements are often the things that get in the way of those who would come to Him. Which is very much the argument about the Gentiles, why the cross is foolishness. This is not what worldly wisdom would say. Worldly wisdom would not say we're going to have God come in the flesh, be a helpless baby that is there in, in Bethlehem of all places, nowhere town, that's going to grow up and be killed by His own creation. That's not worldly wisdom. And yet it is these kinds of things that God wants to use because those who are looking for something that is impressive to worldly wisdom... The message of the cross, they do not understand and they do not get. Jesus even said it like that over in Matthew 11, verse 25. says at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. We have the tendency to go, well, we're going to make it something where only the really, really smart or only the really, really powerful or only the really, really wealthy, they're only going to be the ones who are going to understand this and enter the kingdom. And Jesus says, I thank you, God, that that's exactly not what we did. That's not the plan. That's not what we accomplished. Instead, it would be to the humble. It would be to the poor in spirit. It would be to the simple, such that it would confound the wisdom of this world. And so what you have with God is constantly trying to tell us that being wise by worldly standards, or being powerful, or being noble, or having some kind of status by the world, definition has absolutely no eternal significance to God at all he doesn't care <laughs> and that's why he can ask the question consider your own calling were you any of these kinds of people and we can do the same thing and sit back and say consider our own calling are we any of these kinds of people by worldly standards not in the slightest And here is the Apostle Paul praising that, saying, isn't that wonderful? Why would we put our hope in worldly standards and worldly definitions when God didn't care about those things and by the grace of God chose to save us who are not powerful, who are not rich, who are not mighty, who are not of renown, who are not noble, and yet we belong. And so he's telling them, why then would you place such a significance on those kinds of things because God did not. In fact, to press that a little bit further, the message clearly then would be to these people and for them to really soak in here, like verse 27, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing those things that are Don't be impressed by those things, which I think by translation of these Corinthians would be, don't be impressed with yourself. Stop being impressed by these things. Don't be so concerned about these things. Rather, consider the love and the grace of God. And don't think about life in a worldly perspective. Don't value your life in a worldly perspective. There is such an empty pursuit that our world gives us. Your value... I believe in our society your value is so strongly tied to your career in our culture... It is sad. It is so sad. That's just your identity. That's who you are. And so if you're the, the guy that said, I enjoy garbage and I want to be the guy that rides on the back of the garbage truck because that looks like a lot of fun. I mean, that does to me look like a whole lot of fun. I would want to ride around on that. In our day and culture, in our society, in our stage, we'd go, that's awful. That's lowly. And God goes, who cares? Why are you defining yourself on the basis of what you do or how much money you bring in or what other people think of who you are? You're supposed to be tied to the value of God. That God has given you value. And so for them to look at these things and don't value yourself in a worldly way. In fact, the, the words of verse 28, God chose what was low and despised in the world, even things that are not... To bring to nothing the things that are. It was God's delight to destroy everything that we would remotely boast in or put pride in. I mean, did you see that in verse 28? He took the low and the despised and the things that are not to do what? To bring anything that we would value as high and lofty and noble and make it absolutely nothing you got to love how God operates like that. He says, all those things that you think are so valuable, let me show you why that doesn't work in God's economy. Why there's no eternal significance in those things. No point in those things at all in terms of a relationship with God that we would value it the way the world values it. And so He drives that. Now, why would God be so interested in that? Why is God pressing this and saying, I wanted to take all those lofty things and destroy them. And so the way I was going to destroy all pride and all arrogance and all of our hope and all those lofty things was by taking these lowly despised and what we would classify as things of nothing and bring those things to nothing. Why is he so concerned about that? Verse 29 So that no human being might boast in the presence of God So that you would not ever dare to stand before God and say well, I was born into this family and I have this career and I'm able to speak like this and I'm able to do these kinds of things and I make this kind of money and I have all of these kinds of things and I exert all this kind of power and look at all of my success and look at how my name is recognized so that no one would ever be able to come into the presence of God and think that they have anything to stand on. That's why God did it. God did this so that we would never look at who we are as if we have accomplished something that we have now extended our value to God. We are now more valuable to Him than somebody else because look at how great I am. Look at all the things that I can do. Look how brilliant I am. Look at all that I'm able to do. He just blows all of that out of the water. Now what does that have to do with all that He's doing in these four chapters about fighting and division? And I hope as we say this, you'll read these and always ask yourself, we know that's the issue at stake. That's where he starts with all of this is I hear reports that you guys are quarreling and there's divisions and, and you're lining up with Apollos and with Peter and with Paul. I submit to you the big deal is because he's constantly reminding us that everything that we are in Christ has absolutely nothing to do with us. And that it's never, ever supposed to be about us. It's not about me, and it's not about who I am. It's not about me having my say, or having my way, or it has to be befitting to me. He's constantly driving at them that we would have nothing to stand before God and boast in His presence. What we see in God's wisdom is perhaps the ultimate paradox because in our minds strength is strength and weakness is weakness and intelligence and is intelligence and power is power. And in God's economy, the strongest things are the weakest and the seemingly weak things to us are the strongest. He just reverses it and says you're looking at it all wrong. Why? So that we would not boast in ourselves, that we would not boast in anything before the presence of God. It is the warning to us that we would not make much of ourselves. And this is one of the primary reasons why fighting and division happens is because we make much of ourselves about who we are and we have to have our say and we have to have our way and so we're going to impress that upon others and then the collisions happen and the disputes happen and the fighting happens because everybody's looking to themselves and about who they are and making sure they have their opinion and they're going to be heard And I've witnessed that personally far too many times, and unfortunately you may have as well, where people just feel like, well, I have to have my way and I have to have my say. It is a big warning here that he is giving to them to warn them against that, that it is not about ourselves. And when we change it to ourselves and we are no longer doing the work of Christ and we are no longer taking our joy in the Lord. In fact, that's where he goes in verse 30, is that there's supposed to be a whole different kind of boasting, a whole different kind of glory. Verse 30, And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. Now, why are you in Christ Jesus? Because of all your stuff? Because you're so smart? Because you're so... No, because of Him. It's because of God that you're in this position, not because of you. Because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And so here is the statement that God's wisdom and God's strength is what God did. That's why you belong to Him. And it's only through Him that you even have the wisdom of God, that you are able to experience righteousness, that you enjoy sanctification, that you enjoy redemption. I mean, take a step back and think about that for a minute. What by your own power or by your achievements or by your wisdom or by your intelligence or by your strength got you to this point where you're enjoying the righteousness of God and the sanctification of God and the redemption of God and the wisdom of God? What have you done to enjoy that uh, based upon your acts? That's what he's doing there. Is he saying, it's because God puts you there. It's because of God's wisdom and God's strength that you're able to enjoy these things. And that Jesus is the revelation of all of these things. Verse 30, who became to us these things. It's through Jesus that we are able to enjoy these things. And that's supposed to radically change everything. To consider what he's saying, that Jesus became these things to us. Wisdom from God. Our natural way of thinking, and depending upon worldly wisdom as we've talked about over these last few weeks from 1 Corinthians, only leads you to disaster. That God is always calling for His people to reject worldly wisdom, reject your personal wisdom, and accept the wisdom of God. I used Isaiah 55 as a parallel of that where here's God saying, My ways are higher and better than your ways. And my thoughts are higher and better than your thoughts. So you need to get rid of your ways and get rid of your thoughts and accept His ways and His thoughts. And that's the fundamental argument that's being described right here: is You understand through God's power and through God's strength that in Christ you have wisdom and redemption and sanctification and righteousness. So why would you now step back and go, well, look at me. In fact, the whole point that he's getting at here is to say, how can you boast at all? Verse 31, so that it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That God has determined to destroy every category of status and say those things are of no eternal significance so that your joy and your glory and your boasting would only belong in God. Can you imagine what a radical change of thought that is? That my boasting and my glory and my desire and not my joy is not in personal accomplishments and achievements. It's only in my relationship with God. In fact, that's what Jeremiah is doing. This is a quote out of Jeremiah. Let me back up and give you the context of Jeremiah 9.23. Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his mind. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. Don't look at yourself and your thinking and your ways and your might and your wealth. Here's what he wants you to do. But let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands and knows me that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Your joy, your hope, your glory, and your boasting would simply be resting on this one thing. I get to know God. I get to be in a relationship with my Lord That I get to know Him deeper and deeper. That's my crowning joy. Not about me, not about myself, but just the opportunity that God by His grace has allowed to be able to know Him and understand Him and grasp every day who He is. That's supposed to be the Christian boast. That's how we will look radically different from the world is that we are proclaiming to people, I don't care about status. I don't care about any of those kinds of things. I don't care about wealth. I just care about knowing the Lord. I want my whole life surrounded on I want to know the Lord. How often God gets the back seat so that we can continue to pursue the things of status in this world. Rather than rejecting the status and saying, My joy, my crown, my delight, my boast, and my glory is simply the things of God. Now, Paul never preaches as if he's never done this himself. But that's what chapter 2, in the first five verses, he now says, And that's what I did with you. Uh, that's the whole reason I came to you the way that I did. Here they are acting in regards to status, elevating Paul, elevating Apollos. They're infighting and quarreling and dividing. And he's, though, chapter 2, verse 1, When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. I didn't come to impress. Paul says, I didn't come in here to just try to win you over by eloquent words. And he said that so many times in this, this letter so far. It wasn't me trying to be like the typical orators who lived in those first century times who would try to wow the people by self-promotion. Look how great I am. Look how awesome I am. And listen to my wonderful words. And he says, you know what? I didn't come in like that. In fact, not only did he not come in like that at all, he says, verse 2, I decided To know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I didn't go in and take a poll and try to figure out how I can manipulate you, how I can try to figure out what's going on in your life so I can woo you over and say some kinds of things that will catch your heartstrings and pull you like a good orator would. He says, "I just came to you with Christ." I just told you the gospel message. I didn't try to pull anything in front of you. I didn't try to do something that would manipulate you in any way. I just proclaimed Christ, the one single message that I gave to you. And that is the whole essence of what the proclaiming of the gospel is supposed to look like. I believe that's what Paul is trying to get them to think about, is that it wasn't for them to sit back, listen to Apollos, listen to Paul, listen to Peter, listen to any other teacher that would come along and go, okay, Peter gets a 7, uh, uh, Paul, he gets a 4, and Apollos, because we told he's eloquent, he gets a 10, and so, okay, there you go, There we've got our grading scale, and, and that's that's the way it is. You were supposed to listen to them and say, what a great God we have. What a wonderful Savior we have. Not go, boy, Apollos, he just, he's, he's fantastic. I mean, Apollos, wow. And Paul, I mean, Paul has to defend himself all throughout these letters. Oh, well, you know, where his letters are weighty, but his presence, not so much, you know, and not really too great in his whole oration and display. He says, the whole reason I preached to you is so that you would say, what a wonderful Savior, and do not try to bring attention to himself. Notice it in verse 3, when I was with you, I was in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And he's not apologizing for that. He's not defending that. He's just saying, that's how I came to you, and that's fine. That's good, and he wanted to do that so that people would be pointed to the cross and not to himself. And we read in the book of Acts why he came that way. We know what he had gone through up to this point. And he didn't come into Corinth and go, you know, I better take take about a month off and just kind of get myself together so I can really, you know, wow them and dazzle them when I come into the city. So I'll just, you know, Get myself prepped so I can do it. He did, I, I was in weakness. I was afraid. I was trembling. And I still came there and talked to you. I still proclaimed the message because it wasn't supposed to be about Him. It was supposed to be bringing people to see God. And He says, that's what I was trying to do. And friends, I, I hope we are never, that we are never afraid. Of showing that to the world and showing that to one another. Because God is frequently glorified, in fact, more often glorified when we allow our weakness to be on display rather than our self sufficiency. He wants us to recognize that we don't have to put up a facade of, look how strong I am. Look how mighty I am. I've got it all figured out. I am A plus, ten on the board Christian. He says, you know what, when I came to you guys, weakness, I was weak. Fear. I was so afraid. I was trembling to come into the city and come talk to you guys. But I did it anyway. I was willing to do it even though I was afraid. I was willing to do it even though I knew that you would look at me and perceive that it seems very weak, what I'm doing. I knew that even in my trembling, that you would probably look at that and go, well, that's not worthy of following. And Paul goes, and I was good with that because I wanted the message to be proclaimed and not me. I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted to be about the message. I wanted that to be declared. And that through his weakness, God would be seen all the more. We'll see that later on in the second letter where he'll talk about that. Or he'll talk about this thorn in the flesh and the weakness that he has so that God would be glorified all the more through that. That's constantly Paul's thought is that Paul did not want to put his talents to the forefront so that he would gain attention. He wanted the message to have attention. And so that's why he's using this and saying, not in weak, I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Verse 4, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. I didn't come in making calculated theatrics and emotional appeals and use all kinds of slick speech to try to get you on my side. I came weak. I came trembling. And he says, you know what I did? Verse 4, he says, I came to you with the demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I just showed you God is all I did. All that I did was show you God and nothing else. And he's using that to persuade people to the cross. Is to draw people to God, to God's Word, to God's power, to God's might. Not through anything else but the cross of Christ. We should always want to do that. We should not fear in talking to other people, in talking in public, be it on a Sunday or Wednesday through teaching or leading the Lord's Supper or leading a prayer or whatever it is, to think that we have to do things perfectly and display it just right when A text is emotional to us and it draws us in. We're thinking about the cross and we're crushed by that. To be willing to express to people, this is why this is so good to me. These are the things that I value. To hear these words and how they have changed my life, how they have struck my heart, how they've radically transformed everything about my life. And again, notice why the Apostle Paul says this is so important. Why does this matter? He keeps answering this again and again. Verse 5, why is it so important to not make it about ourselves, but to make it about the message, to be willing to detract from ourselves and make it about the message? Verse 5, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That everything that we would do would have the goal of getting people to not rest their faith on anything else but the power of God. In thinking about the application of that, I, I thought of a lot of things, but one of the things that hit me is that then the only preaching that honors God is when God's wisdom and God's power is expressed. That's only when God's honored by our teaching, is when it's here's God on display, here's his power on display, here's his wisdom on display, and that it's not about putting a person forward or putting a particular thought process. In fact, it should be that we would be willing to show ourselves as weak to others so that God can be shown as strong. I, I am, I am often bothered and saddened because we are in a culture that is really so similar to Corinth where faith rests on a person. Faith rests on a particular denomination or something like that. To see people who would say that their faith rests on a particular preacher of renown and they connect their lives because of an individual. Or to connect themselves and say, well, I am Church of Christ, or something like that, as if that's your identity. You have the Apostle Paul blowing up those ideas and saying, I just want you to have your faith in God. That's where your faith should lie. Your identity belongs to Christ and not to anyone else or to anything else we are not to be a follower of a person. We are not to be a follower of a religious group. or to follow Jesus, and Christ is to be the basis of that faith. To sum up what he's done here, I hope you'll consider that what the message of the cross does is that it is supposed to smash all of the personal idols that we have in our lives. But there are two in particular that I think the message of the cross is truly supposed to smash any idea of self-promotion or glory. It's just supposed to annihilate that so that we would not promote ourselves, that we would not glory in ourselves. And unity will come. And unity is maintained when we are centering our lives on the wisdom of God and on the power of God and not our own that we would always rest on thus says the Lord this is what the scriptures read I'm starting to be able to say I've been around a while now (laughs) I don't like that but it's okay it's better than the alternative it has become more and more amazing to me to to look back at the things that I heard growing up being in other congregations listening to other teachers and other things and to consider how often things were put forward as the word of God when there was absolutely no scriptural ground for it in the slightest but it sounded good it sounded biblical it sounded right. One of the things, just to give one example that hits me just immediately is, and you've probably heard this, is you get the stories like we're doing the Lord's Supper, we're talking about the cross of Christ, and we'll read the scene there where Jesus is on the cross and the the sun then is turned to darkness. And what a riveting scene that is. And then it'll go on to expound upon And so there, that's where God turned His back and that's why there was darkness as He falls out of favor with God. Where does it say that? Where does it say any of the story that we often conjecture about all kinds of things in regards to the cross? So often, stories are made up that are not grounded in here's what the Word of God says. It sounds good. It sounds nice, and there's not a shred of words in all of the scriptures that say it. Our dependence is not to be on a person or on because something sounds good or it sounds like a good idea. So much false teaching comes because, well, that sounds neat. That sounds like a good idea. And instead that we would always rest on the idea always that it is we are going to depend upon the wisdom of God. When do we think that we get to have the license to make human wisdom greater than the wisdom of God? And yet, so often that's what we want to do. That we want to look at our wisdom and our might and our power. And so through many divisions we see in many fights, so many of those things come. Not because this is a stand upon, thus says the Lord, here it plainly says, but instead it is about our opinions, and our opinions, our feelings, our self-promotion can never get in the way of the clearly revealed Word of God. I hope that we would always demand that and we would always stand on that. Uh, I have become all the more and more convinced that I feel like the only way for me to teach is to take the Word of God, take a sentence, take a word, take a paragraph, and say, isn't that neat? Here's what it says. I don't know what else to do anymore. I'm grateful when I first came here, and I think about that now that I'm going back to Fayetteville this week, and so it's going to be kind of an interesting nostalgic rewind to go there this week from where I first started where things were awful and I, I'm going to go apologize to them when I preach there and that was, that was atrocious and my apologies uh, that from the very beginning when I was with you that's what you always wanted, you always wanted the word of God you always wanted to hear it from thus that says, here it is And any time I didn't do that, some of you would come up to me and say, don't do that. (laughs) Do this as the Lord. And you're right. And I'm grateful to you for that. And I believe the Apostle Paul is just trying to drive that into the hearts of these Corinthians. Why are you trusting in human wisdom and human thought that the message of the cross is supposed to cause us to submit our will to Him, to submit our thinking to Him, to submit our desires to Him. That's what the cross is supposed to mean to us. That we will always open the Word of God, bow our knee before it, and say, what does the text say? What does this mean? And how can I obey it with all of my heart? I appreciate you all so much. I I, I ought to say it every Sunday when I get up here and go, you guys are wonderful and I love... That you all enjoy the word of God so much. And I believe that is one of the primary reasons that we have had such a harmony and unity in this group. Because it is very much about what does the word of God say. May we continue to do that. Because that is what the Apostle Paul is drawing them to and saying... Do you understand the message of the cross? If you're going to have glory and boasting, it only sits in the Lord. And be glad that you know Him. Let that be your joy. Let that be your boast. Amen. We're going to sing a song, and we're. Going